I'll I'll just edit all of these. I got simpler. Because mm. Thank you. You have more important things to be doing. And by I more have important to impart wisdom onto a child. Yeah, by more important I mean like marginally more important. <laughs> not to diminish the importance of podcast editing, but you know. I, I mean I, I have a lot of things to tell my child, but mm. uh how to edit podcasts is possibly not one of them. No, um, it's a saturated industry anyway, so you're like, mm. how much use has been good at editing podcasts? But uh, yeah, so when you're older, you'll be like, you'll be creating content in your own new generation pandemic baby way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which will be really specific to some, into some format that we don't, can't imagine yet. It'll be like... No. Um, brain something. blasts. Yeah, brain blasts. Yeah uh bespoke bespoke sodas that when you drink them you gain the thoughts of the person who created it you hear the podcast of the soda you're drinking yeah that's pretty good i'd um <laughs> i'd drink that like the like the the possibility for like you just open a new can of chapo and it's like oh man another movie episode i hate these <laughs> it's after taking a sip <laughs> I'm not gonna watch the movie with you, idiots. <laughs> it's the yeah. yeah so work. That's the future. That's the future of content. That is the future of content. Uh, and with that in mind, uh... dream buddies gonna make it after all. Coming to you from the dreamscape, this is Dream Buddies, a podcast about life uh, and it's a lifestyle podcast about about, uh, <laughs> about fo- following following your dreams or uh, the future vanguard of American fascism. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are wearing yoga pants that are very flattering to our asses. We do nothing but squats. We're lifestyle influencers now. So right now I am wearing pajama bottoms. That are yeah. uh, that we bought because in Japanese hotels they frequently give you pajamas as like not to keep yeah. but like the hotel room comes with nice pajamas that you wear if you're yes. there, um, and we just like ca- we're like, do you sell these? And they were like, yes, we do. We're like, we would like these, please. They are very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're called Jinbei. Is the type of pajamas they are? Ooh. They're like kind of summery light linen kind of things they're nice and good mm, that's right. what i'm wearing what, what are you wearing <laughs> <laughs> this is a new segment of our podcast what are you wearing uh um i'm actually wearing like an iron sweater because i've become nice. very irish yeah so, that's pretty that's uh, pretty irish is, yeah yeah i'm doing i'm doing i'm doing cottagecore taylor mm. swift uh <laughs> energy now if you if everyone has to keep keep it up with taylor swift she's cottagecore now and she like wears stuff from like 70s arnett bargain bins uh that's an irish reference for you <laughs> yeah arnett's is like an okay department store <laughs> yeah i don't really know what you compare like, the reason Arnett's is still around is mostly because it's an institution. I don't think anyone really cares about it beyond that. Like, I saw some people doing, like, it happened, like, 
And obviously it didn't happen this year, but there's this uh, whole thing of like Santa's coming to town thing. And like the art at Santa is like a big thing on Jervis Street. And there's like a big event slash parade type thing you can go to. Yeah. Um, and that's like nice and lovely. And it's like a fun thing to go out with your like kids or family to do. But like, I guess that's what artists provides. <laughs> I like, know what else. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things. The apartment store is one of those things that I think so. D- d- the uh the department for denims in the uk is now is now gone bankrupt here as well as yeah, uh, yeah. it had previously gone bankrupt in ireland and there's the, the ongoing thing of the staff trying to get their severance pay money. that yeah they're promised in their contracts but Devon's trying to weasel out of and mm. i think they're you know very sudden but long time coming like because it was sudden in that like no one was expecting to like get announced but everyone kind of figured Debenhams was gonna go bankrupt at some point um happened here and you were uh, at that that, at that point it was like i'd see this was like a sinking ship where they were like we cannot afford to pay anyone any severance because if we did that Mm -hmm. then the rest of our company would collapse and like the workers in dublin shouldn't care about that that's not not actually their problem uh they should get their severance pay but i can see the reasoning behind it where they were like this is is a very precarious situation as it is um but uh that's not really a good excuse but anyway it's it's gone back up now which is quite funny but um i understand the convenience like debenhams is a really terribly run shop in that like it had very bad stock Arnett's is like a like an okay run department store. Like if you legitimately need to buy miscellaneous Christmas presents for like eight people that don't like the same things, yeah. you can just go in there and purchase everything. In theory, you can be like, I need to buy yes. a toaster, but also a pair of shoes, but also, also got a, a lamp. Yeah, it also got like a bit more bespoke as yeah. well if memory serves last time i was in Ireland, which to be honest was possibly more than 10 years ago um so who knows what it's like now there could be like a thunderdome situation in there and i wouldn't know um, I, I was there like two years ago it's just like a perfectly fine shop it's yeah. like john lewis like is the uk equivalent it's like a perfectly usable department store where stuff like the other thing that- might be slightly more expensive than you expect it to be I think, they, I think the other thing that helps is there's only one of them. Yeah, right. Yeah, that does help. That's yeah. true. Yeah. They're not trying to like maintain a chain of department stores in the era of Amazon, which seems kind of daft because um, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, John Lewis is also facing problems. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. And then like the German equivalent, uh, Kastat is also basically like uh, another company bought them out recently called galleria and closed yeah, I've been half in a galleria. Them. Yeah. yeah yeah well probably so half like of the, half of them were probably in locations where there was also a galleria <laughs> you know it's the yeah that might have been also it but like car Kar- still like a weird fixture of well, like was, there's one near my neighborhood time. there was one in the neighborhood i was stuck in today right. um yeah it's still like a thing, but it does also kind of feel like it's on last legs. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's Which fun. I mean, to a certain extent sucks because there is a certain joy of uh, going into like a giant, in winter especially, going to like a giant mega shop that sells all the things you want. That's not like, mm. like it's different to going into a big, like a big shopping center. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like a more 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe it's nostalgic for it. Maybe it's a terrible, I, terrible I, experience. Yeah, I'd say it's nostalgia because like that is something for our generation and like a lot of generations of just like Christmas shopping for like the lesser cared about relatives. Where it was done like we'll just we'll set aside like one three hour block in an afternoon and go to like one of the big department stores yeah, yeah. and just browse for acceptable gifts. Um, but yeah, I, I I wonder if like anyone who doesn't have that like memory will even care when they're gone. No, probably not. I'll probably forget. I'd be sad if John Lewis closed. Yeah. John Lewis's plan is quite uh, they have quite a, you know late stage capitalism plan which is they're gonna turn they're basically gonna downsize some of their stores that they're gonna keep open and mm. basically put terrible apartments in in the bits that they that they keep so do you have you ever had the desire to like live in a shopping center basically <laughs> i mean like once when i was once when i was like eight <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah i thought it would be cool i thought it'd be cool but like john lewis i know compared to some other like shopping centers i have experience with distinct lack of arcade machines mm. uh so as long as as long as there's like yeah that would actually sell co-living spaces so quickly to me if there was just like classic um arcade machines yeah yeah what was that one with the uh um something of the dead oh. all i can think of is the parody version they did typing of the dead no dawn of the dead right is, dawn of the dead, is that the name of the games of the game. Oh, you mean left? Yeah. You mean left for dead? No, it was the arcade games, and there's a typing version called typing, typing the dead, or typing. The oh, uh, heist of the no. I know what you mean. Oh, the ones with the gun. Yeah, like the bit, like the yeah, 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 yeah. With the light guns. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can get those ones where it had like two hand guns in the first one, yes. and then you would pay for both players, and then you would just both use both guns. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so in Japan, <laughs> we went into one of those giant, like, multi-story arcades that are effectively... It's really funny, because basically they had escalators, because it's like, it was like eight stories or something, but there was no damn mm. escalator, and to leave, you had to use the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's so genius. That's so evil. So, so bad. And the top floor was just, like, it was mostly... People playing Dance Dance Revolution incredibly well, and it was like mm. like fat men playing it. And you were like, I do not understand the situation because you you spend all your time here exercising. I don't understand. <laughs> you put on so much. Anyway, uh, but we played uh, one of those games, which was initially very confusing because one was in Japanese, but also uh, we didn't realize until we were like we started playing it. <laughs> because the, they always had a gimmick like every new one they had a had some sort of like gimmick of the machine because like, it was a big thing you'd yes, get into change, and sit in like yeah. a little couch connected to the the box and like i remember yes. a lot of them i remember where it would like shake or something where there'd be speakers mm. behind you and it was like surround sound would be a gimmick or the gun would be different the gimmick of this yeah. one was that it sprayed steam at you which was oh which was um we were like, okay, how's that going to work? Because there was like a picture of it, like basically like a man being sprayed of steam. We were like, what is this going to be? This is very strange. And effectively, the way they had to work it in uh, was <laughs> yeah. that very early, like very frequently in the game, you kept coming across uh, like steam pipes you had to shoot to like kill mm. the zombies and then you would get sprayed with the steam. But because they can't spray with hot steam, it was just kind of like cool mist would get misted at you from what 
I imagine was quite an old arcade machine, so it was just spraying like dirty, <laughs> dirty watery air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm um, sure that that machine in particular is possibly like, particularly in 2020, is not being allowed to operate. <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah. In retrospect, it did feel like a disease vector machine. Where you're just like, <laughs> oh, I, I feel unwell. Oh, where, where have you been? I went to this like aerosol spray machine. <laughs> Yeah, like, all it just takes is for one person to cough on that nozzle, and it's a super spreader event. So true, pal. So true. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, uh, how uh, how are you doing, pal? How are your dreams how going? The dreams. All right, so I, I, have, I have two things to talk about in terms of, like, the dreams, mm. um, which is, like, comic updating stuff yeah of like that's a, and then then our other the other aspect which is uh european leftism <laughs> um so the comic stuff is been pretty slow i i, I recently relatively recently created life so um comics has been like not a thing i've been really tempted to get like an ipad because a lot of people are just drawing on ipads now mm. um and they're not like not dissimilar in price to like tablets, like good tablets. Yeah, the good, but the good, the the good app- reasonably sized tablets are quite expensive, right? Yeah, pretty. Like, I mean, it's gotten better now because it used to be that Wacom, which is a Japanese company, had like an effective monopoly. Yeah, but a bunch of uh, other Japanese companies, which, as far as I understand, are just aggrieved Wacom employees. <laughs> And um, some Chinese competitors also got into the mix, which has lowered the price down to something a bit more reasonable. Okay. But the added benefit of the iPad thing is is it's not it's not a screen tablet. It's effectively um, in in drawing tablet uh, nomenclature. It's not a screen tablet. It's a tablet computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there is something nice with the fact of I can just pick, like in theory just pick up the iPad and the like Apple Pencil mm. and that's it. There's no other setup. That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like the temptation there to make things easier. And also, my wife, believe um, that name, <laughs> is also tempted. What timestamp were you? About fourteen fifty-two. The yeah, she's also like tempted by the idea of an iPad tablet, so that'll be good. Uh, hopefully, we can get that sorted one day. That's a good shout out to you. The, yeah, the other thing I did and I uploaded onto the Instagram is I did a self portrait, drawing a self portrait, which is based on a photo you took of me when the last time I was in your apartment, um, in in the halcyon days of being able to do international travel. Oh yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> wild and um i think that's it really i i made my font i'm happy with it it has diacritics it has like all the diacritics i need i think i mentioned that last time but uh yeah that's and i did some editing and put it in and tweaked some comics so i'm i'm happy with the the small amount of progress i've made since last recording yeah um, well, like you I- you were basically saying that making your font was like could potentially take quite a while because you could use it to distract from doing actual work for a long time. Yes, yes. So you definitely. you've removed like if, that that uh, that problem. Yeah, yeah. I I've gotten past that. I have uh, removed the not removed. I've 
gone beyond the temptation to get really nitty with nitty gritty with the font because it is still missing diacritic diacritics for like the Scandinavian languages mm. and <laughs> and also the S set, which I still don't know how the Germans do in comics. Um, Just use two S's. <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah, because it's yeah, because Ger- like comics are still all caps, and there's no such thing as a capital S set. So. Yeah. No, it's kind of kind of already looks capital, but I mean, yeah. It does, but it's because they don't they don't have one because no word begins with an F set. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. How does a snake um, snake shout in German? <laughs> Snakes don't scrub, like strike me as shouting animal. <laughs> That's like nine one one, my snake is shouting at me. <laughs> oh, you know, there's like you see a snake on the ground going, but then you see like yeah. a cobra jumping at you, being like, it's a shy. That sounds like it starts with like yeah, it's a- that sounds like, that sounds like it starts with a K. Oh right, yeah. So got you there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a shite, so it's all caps. So it'd be yes. K S set S set S set. Which actually would look pretty good, you know. So that's all right. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I've managed to not distract myself with that. Um, okay, well, that's, the, the, that's, a, that's a positive. Yeah, how, how is your dream stuff going before I, I go on my, uh, my the other thing that occupied my time since we last recorded? Just to briefly wrap up, your, so basically the next time I talk to you, you'll have a, you'll have a like, fancy iPad and you'll spend, I'll spend all of your money. <laughs> um, spend all, all my money have. or be in debt, whichever. Um, yeah, both yeah. strong options. <laughs> The other thing about having a child is it's like, I shouldn't buy an iPad right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of the like motivation behind it. Because then the child would be like, where's my iPad, bruh? And you'd be all like, shut up, yeah. baby. It'd be more like the child would be like, where are my clothes? And I'd be like, I sold them for iPad. <laughs> Babies love iPads. That's Which true. is actually, also, actually uh, true, you know, so this is the thing. Yeah, they don't really actually like clothes that much. No. The baby is so happy when she's naked. Yeah. Naked with an iPad. That's the dream. But, you know, can't all of that dream. Can't live the baby life. Yeah. Um, no, the baby life of naked with iPad. How's my dreams? Oh, so yeah, my game's going going well. Um, nice. I start, I wrote a script outline. Last time I was complaining that I didn't want to write the script. So I have, yes. a, pl- I have a plot. Um, which is, is uh, ironed out somewhat. Uh, I just write content, <laughs> but it's uh, I have a plot element, which is great. Uh, your advice to go use the story circle was really good because it actually made it a lot easier to write an outline. Uh, mm. it was good. Um, I had a I had a fun experience where I spent a lot of time bashing my head up against like player control. So the idea for the game yeah. is that you're on a boat and that like it's a sport, like a dinghy and effectively. It's third person, but the player character can only realistically walk the distance between where the rudder is at the back of the boat and the mast, which is like four steps or something. It's like three or four, like four steps. And like, there's no need for the player to be able to walk further. So I quite like, um, have you ever played Grim Fandango? The LucasArts game? Yeah. Not in a million years, but yes, I have. So so it, it, it got a lot of bad... Uh, bad feels from people because it has tank what's known as tank controls which is basically like forward moves you forward whatever direction your character is facing 
and right mm. will turn your character right. It will not make them walk right. It'll turn them. Um, yes. And some people don't like tank controls. I think they're really f- f- fun. So I just left it as tank controls. But then I'd be thinking yes. for quite a while that while I was doing some work fixing the camera, like to make it look better and to do some camera mm. transitions, I was like, I can get rid of the tank controls and do like proper third person controls. Mm. But... It was one of those things where I had like engineered myself into such a corner that the work required to make the proper third person controls work the way other games in the engine I'm using have made them work would require like deleting all of the player script and writing it from scratch, <laughs> which I didn't want to do. So I've decided not to do it. But that's, I spent a good four hours on prototyping that. Deciding it didn't work. Deciding I didn't want to do it. (laughs) And being like, you know what? It's four steps. You can do four steps in tank controls. I'm not making you traverse like Mm. a room. So I think it's okay. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot of times doing doing nothing. Mostly the script outline was mostly what I did. I did that and then some like camera transitions. So it might sound like nothing has happened on it. And I have nothing to show for it. But a lot of progress has been made. And I will... (laughs) I will defend that. Yeah, I hate the kind of progress that has actually nothing to show for it, but you actually did stuff. That happens to me all the time as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 I definitely spent time doing stuff. It was just yeah, the output was un- un- unimpressive. Um, mm. But that's you know that's that's life and that's okay. Um, that's that's a uh, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with I'm pretty happy with how things are going. Oh, actually no, I wrote like a three minute piece of music that was good. Oh, good. Yeah, because uh, I bought myself, well, I I partially bought myself a guitar, which I had wanted for a long, Ooh. long time. And uh, it uh, motivated me to write some music because the, the game needs quite a bit of music as well as the other, <laughs> other yes, problems of course. which I've uh, set myself. So I was I write some, write some atmospheric uh, light jazz is how I describe it. It's, uh, it's good. Ooh. It is nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was. A, I actually got quite a bit done. I take it back. I, a lot of. I have, yeah. something, I have something that like is a you know showable thing. Uh, I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Good not, job, not, buddy. Not, not too bad. What was the other thing you Good were dreaming? Yes, yeah, so I was dreaming. Dreaming heavy. Dream. California dreaming. Play that now. Drop. <laughs> I hit. I hit a fictional. I hit a fictional like drop cue device that I I don't have. No, I'm. I'm and, just going to drop in my, the music I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't like uh, it that's too bad yeah <laughs> uh, so I guess the other thing that I did this uh, last time since last time recording is um, is I wrote a political screed <laughs> the thing that I'm referring to as a political screed oh very good yeah this is the other topic so the podcast is three topics which is uh, yeah. your 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 uh, dream related work my dream related work mm-hmm. and then uh, political screeds <laughs> Yes, political screeds, yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean... Oh, jeez, I don't know. I've gotten into a position that, like, I don't think I should talk about just yet. Mm. But let's just say a famous Greek uh, economist's movement that he started in 2017 is kind of collapsing. Uh-huh. Um, in a kind of very hilarious way. Uh, one day I will talk mm. about it. Uh, someone is uh, someone I know is writing a book about all of it, so mm. I'll wait till that book comes out maybe <laughs> before I start uh, talking shit. Um, but 
uh, the last while I've been getting involved in um, like organizing literature, uh, adding like stuff to the read list, reading a lot of like crime think essays. If anyone doesn't know crime think, they're like an American anarchist group that uh, I think for a long time, mainly in the 90s, they were like the only thing vaguely left on the internet. So um, they, they've been like in the trenches for a while and it's very interesting. Mm. Um, but they crime think uh, spelt like ink, like incorporated. Oh, right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's all very, it's a very ad busters era of like <laughs> leftism. Yeah. Um, but still they have things to say. Um, they, they were there for like battle for Seattle stuff mm. that existed. In the early 2000s. Yeah, um, for Seattle the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> um, I've been trying to, like, I've been sinking my teeth into uh, ha- um, How to Hegemony by uh, Jonathan Smucker, which is, like, a big organizing book mm-hmm. and things like that. And just the nature of how all that works, which I'm finding very interesting. Hmm. Um, the other thing is I've been listening to, uh, Rebel Steps, which is a very good podcast about, like, how to actually do stuff. Uh, one second. Kiran's noodles are here, and I'm going to cut in more of my music as interview music. 25, 45, music. Yes, yeah, I was really listening to Rebel Steps, which is, like, a very good, very short and succinct how-to guide on, like, organization and getting into, like, more activist Mm -hmm. left politics. Yeah. So that's been good. Um, Sorry, I just ran up some stairs. (laughs) 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 The, um... Yeah, so I guess there's, like, a lot of potential for like something interesting to be made mm-hmm. and i might try to get involved with that as best i can but it also might be nothing so let's yeah woo, that's let's often, what often the way of these things is you're like yeah. it's very hard because i think because it's the type of politics that people get idealistic about it's very mm. difficult to tell and probably impossible to tell beforehand what things are gonna keep trucking along for a while and what things are gonna like fizzle immediately um Mm. and i guess you know my take on it generally is to be like you know positive about it because for that Mm. reason of just like you can shit on something but like you don't know if it's gonna go nowhere or if it's like the precursor to something quite good um or the precursor to something really bad (laughs) (laughs) as the as the other option um yeah it's interesting because uh i think otherwise you fall into the you fall into like i guess like a doomery position of 
mm. oh, well, this thing won't work because this other thing didn't work, and therefore this thing won't work. Or what I find, this, I find in my involvement in the UK Labour Party, you encounter people like, uh, like um, teens who are like into Tony Blair, which is very funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, they're a lot of the time, the logic they articulate is just like, I don't want to be involved in something that's not successful, and I'm willing to make compromises nice. for the purpose of yeah, success. I get that. And you're like, yeah. but yeah, like it's, it's like, it's, it's quite naive because you're like, well, I think you've under, un- misunderstood the, the particular concept, uh, compromises that, um, uh, may have to be made for exactly what you're talking about. And like, it's not necessarily a compromise, but like the actual core of the thing you're, you're a pro isn't what you think it is. And you, you've been misled down, down, down a, down a, uh, a bit of a bit of a rabbit mm. hole and like th- this is the, uh, often the, uh, d- different different opinions on <laughs> Tony Blair being a bad person but uh, um, <laughs> a lot of the ways you can kind of see how you know he was at some point someone who was then led down gradually led down led, led down a road it's supposed to him being like a Machiavellian genius of, <laughs> yes. of uh, evil proportions there was like a um, uh, there was an incident this week which uh Kia Starmer, the Labour leader, was on a radio show on mm. LBC, which is this big like talk radio thing in the UK. Um, and effectively, someone rang, someone rang because it was talking about um, uh, people booing at a football match for Black Lives Matter taking the knee instances, mm. and how he was kind of saying, "Well, this, well, that's not acceptable. That people should be, you know, pro, pro Black Lives Matter." And uh, the caller who rang in was basically just like, "My husband booted that, and I think he's right for the following reasons." And then proceeded to explain the like Great Replacement like conspiracy theory, um, and effectively, like Keir Starmer, well, gave like a you know lazy politician answer of just like, "I think people like the majority of people want equality, and that's the way it is." Uh, and people were like, mm. you know, it's outrageous that he didn't like pick up on the conspiracy theory and the like. We need to have a ethno nationalist state <laughs> to to like make sure that white people have more power. Was like what she was saying because mm. we're at danger of being being a uh, overrun. I was like, we ignoring all that aspect of it, and they're like, well, that's not acceptable. We have to call that shit out when that happens. As like. I find there's a very funny extreme which people go to, which is like he did that intentionally because they're trying to like play like not I, I, like alienate the really racist people. And you're like, or yes. he just doesn't see it as that like as a, uh, enough of a enough of a threat constantly to be to like notice when that's happening and is just like not was not paying attention. <laughs> it's much more realistic, but like in a lot of ways that's more mm. dangerous because they're not like. They don't care so much about that that they're willing yeah, to yeah. like invest capital in it, and by capital mm. I mean like you know social capital, not money. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a bit of a bit of an unnecessary tangent, but I think it was my point being that you can either be like incredibly cynical, or you can weirdly buy into something that is not very good. Uh, because you're like, but it's the only thing we have. Or you can be kind of idealistic about new stuff when it comes along. I think being idealistic mm. about new stuff when it comes along is good because some of that stuff does pan out and does work. And yeah. I think there's lots of instances you can look at of people, especially uh, in 
other countries, not this country <laughs> and not Germany, <laughs> uh, of yeah, people right. who seemed like like underdoggy people or uh, issues that seemed like they were going going to go nowhere, and then suddenly mm. became a thing. And the time period at which they went from not happening at all to becoming a thing is often yeah. quite short. And therefore, it's good to be, you know, idealistic and positive about this stuff. But it's mm. I don't know, it is draining. So <laughs> that's always the danger. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, I'm somewhat positive that there's something that can be built here. Um, But I just need to figure out... I just need to figure out what it is. And, like, like in kind of a specific detail, I also need to figure out what uh, will work for the people who I would consider good and natural allies to this, but we're always very incredibly uh, critical of the based movement. Oh, no. Uh, anonymous Greek economist uh, based movement that I'm attempting to build this out of the shell of. Um, because I'm very curious as to... Yeah, I'm very curious to see uh, how that will work. So I've... I, my, my the big thing of today is I messaged someone about this who I know always thought this thing sucked, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I respect the opinion of like greatly. Um, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to pick her brain about this. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a thing. The other thing is like, I'm, I'm really into at the moment is uh, social club socialism, which I, I find very, first of all, it's a fun thing to say, <laughs> but also just like a, a, a thing to, think about for our modern era um the idea what what do you mean by that explain so the idea being that um this is this is an era of like like profound loneliness um Mm. even before like coronavirus um i think the person who always put this best was like felix biederman when he was like ever talking about his MMA documentary he did, which is literally called Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, the That was always, like, really interesting, and he, he talked about how everyone was estranged, and he described a feeling that, like, I very much resonated with when I was living in, like, the UK and Ireland of just, like, you know, you work all the time, but you really don't have any... You don't have money to do anything beyond, like, stay at home in, in a relatively okay apartment and watch Netflix. Like, yeah. you don't really have yeah, a way yeah. to go out and socialize anymore, blah, blah, blah. So the idea behind like what's kind of being now dubbed as social club socialism, which is maybe your socialist like organizations, your left-wing organizations also need to offer things that are not always like actions, demos, talks, reading groups. You need, you need something chill as well you need like we're all just going to go out for drinks or board game night or something like that where there is also just like social events where at least you can be guaranteed both as like recruiting tactic of like bringing Mm. in people who are a little bit apolitical Mm. um but also just to like stop things like burnout and the doomerism of it all 
So yeah, that's something I've been thinking about lately. So lately. I I find going to political meetings is a lot hard. Like even though you know, especially on like cold winter nights, going down to like wherever the meeting is is like grim in itself. But then afterwards, mm. a lot of those things do tend to be like. Now let's go to the pub, and you're like, "Yeah, fine, that's, that's that's quite nice." And the ones that aren't like that do feel like more work. And yeah, going to like a late evening Zoom meeting <laughs> is a lot more like I find is a lot more like mentally draining because you then need yeah. to you then need to start making the mental calculus of like, what's in this for me? Is the thing we're going to be discussing like actively so interesting that I after my day of work, I, I actually feel like doing it? Or is it is this just like going through the motions of like, oh, but I want to be involved in this thing and therefore I yeah. feel like I should go to this meeting. And like, I feel stuff like reading groups obviously get over that, but yeah, they don't solve the problem you've described, which is like, if you don't want to make this like your whole life, which is true of, uh, uh, probably like true of me to most extent and then true, true of most people, um, if you're going to yeah. build any like reasonably sized organization, it's very difficult to yeah construct a thing that doesn't have some sort of side purpose. So like, oh, we're having a social event, but it's actually a fundraising for the thing. You're like, well, that's not that's not the same. That's not that's not fun. Yeah. And I think it's it's more difficult as well in the because similar to like if you ever go to like uh, someone else's work party. And then you're like, yeah. I don't have a lot of stuff to say because they're all talking about the thing they have in common, which is that job they all do together. <laughs> um, so it's like there's an inherent awkwardness of that. And there's a there's a similar problem of you going to like a political group of some sorts, social gathering, because they're going to just talk politics. And it's obviously that's good. But that's not necessarily good if you want to make it as accessible as possible, because a lot of what they're going to talk about is like not just politics, but they're they're go- they're going to discuss the thing they have in common, which is the internal <laughs> politics of whatever organization they're in. Yeah. So yeah, there is like there is stuff to be done there, and a lot of what I'm reading and listening to the moment talks about the importance of onboarding. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which. I guess a lot of people probably hear that term and feels like it's very corporate, but like I think it actually originates from like affinity groups and organizations originally. But the idea of um, yeah, it, it's that onboarding is important for like several reasons of like both growing membership in a way that actually like feels sustained and involved, um, stopping burnout because if you educate newbies about like what's been going on in the organization, then it reduces the pressure on like the old guard to be like in charge of everything. Um, yeah. Cause the new yeah, people yeah. also know what's going on. Um, things like that. So onboarding in the sense of like knowing what you guys have done, what uh, other groups in the area have done, who do we not like, who do we do like, <laughs> um, what these various acronyms that we're like using or shorthands we're using mean, uh, but also like encouraging people to ask questions and participate is yeah. also another part of it. I think um, I think encouraging participation is like the 
the real holy grail of of that kind of that kind of mm. organization because that's the real you feel a lot more like this is also like quite businessy but i i i remember this from like starting like starting many many jobs over, over the years so like i i guess as like a as like an example starting like a programming job if you don't like mm. push some fresh code in the first like couple of days you don't feel as involved and similarly mm. if like you go to a bunch of meetings and you don't say anything and no one no one is actively encouraging you to like be involved in the conversation actively yeah you kind of just feel a bit like uh well uh and like the best kind of things like that where i felt like oh i actually want to be continue like continue to be involved in this or like put effort into it or like go i can see mm. these people or like you know, actually go to the pub with them because otherwise it's intimidating. It's people who will like come yeah. up to you and be like, "Hey, what did you think of that?" and be like, "Oh, you seem to actually care about my opinion," or like you're just trying to onboard me, whatever. But like, it's still, I've seen that done really like wrong, and I've seen like the people who do that mm. well, and it's quite, it's actually quite like, um, it's one of those things. I don't know if it's like confirmation bias, but I find the people I tend to agree with most are the people who were like went out of their way to like include new people um and be like you haven't said anything did you have anything to add or do you what are your thoughts on this instead of just being like cool so we're moving on with the meeting <laughs> just like mm-hmm. um and the people who like don't put any effort in were the people i tended to not agree with the, their opinions anyway which is possibly quite telling i don't know if that that was them making a like a prejudgment on me or there was a vibe i put out <laughs> or something but <laughs> um I think yeah, the friend, the outward friendliness of the of the group is is very important, um, yeah. and I think it's a lot more important than you think it would be. Because <laughs> the, <laughs> um, there's being like, I, yeah, no, there's like there's a aspect of being like welcoming of differing opinions, uh, and doing that in a way that doesn't compromise like the goals of the like the opinion the agreed opinions of the thing when it was set up and doing that in a way that's not like smug is <laughs> <laughs> difficult i don't i this is the thing it's not like a small problem i think there's a i guess there's a reason to go try it and see how it goes mm. yeah so that's that's kind of where i am in the in the last little while but, uh, that's yeah, good i good. noticed that that sounds to me like an excuse not to make comics mm, no <laughs> shut up just just check in it's occupying the brain juices in a uh-huh. way that like can be done at the same time as like holding a baby <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas like similarly the Apple Pencil one hand, nice. <laughs> <laughs> unlike those like unlike those two handed pencils that we have to use <laughs> now. God damn it. You uh I mean yeah, this is the this is the thing. Those two handed pencils. I, They're um I draw like a child holding a novelty oversized pencil. I think that's a that's good that's good homework for you. <laughs> uh, uh, I've seen I've seen the I've seen people train themselves to draw with their left hand or like their non-dominant hand. It scares me. It's like why why would you do this? I know that's just like so much effort invested in something that. So I, actually, do you want 
I feel like it's kind of related to this other topic we're going to talk about, and I can tell you why a lot of people do it. Mm. It's to um, it's so they can draw for longer. Oh right, because yeah, it, yeah, yeah, because you. It, if you're getting carpal tunnel in your dominant hand, you can give it a break while you draw with your non-dominant hand, which is now like because you've trained yourself to be ambidextrous in drawing. Right. So not being enough. Oh right. Yeah, this is the other thing we wanted to talk about, which um, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Which was the gross drive to feel like you need to be productive. Mm. Um, and I posited last time that it was like a generational thing. Um, and I appreciate that's not necessarily, that wouldn't be universally true, but I feel like there is definitely like a, not to get all like, you do see a lot of think pieces which are like, you know, along the line of, oh, well, millennials are all like mm. burnouts because they all are forced to work too hard. Uh, and there's like a drive that you must be successful in your unique creative way. Um, mm. Was that the way you wanted to talk about it? Or is there another aspect? I'm I mean, like, I don't want to, like, go into the weeds about whether it's generational or not. Um, because I think generational politics is just, like... Ugh. Uh, it's just kind of, like, formless and kind of, like, impossible to talk about. Like, it, it's, it's important to remember that, like, millennials are in this kind of sense of arrest development. Not, not completely undue to the fault of, like media who still use the term millennials to as a stand-in for young people even though like the oldest millennial is like now 41 or something mm. uh by most people's standards um but like it, it's i also just don't want to think i also don't think that zoomers like the generation below millennials are exempt from this in particular i think it's just you entered into the workforce largely post 2008 or like you were getting yeah. started post 2008 I think is like I think maybe that's more the cutoff and things changed yeah I think like, I think thinking about it more in the sense of like it's becoming more it's continuing to become more of a problem and there's picking like the generational thing seems to me like shorthand for well this is the thing people roughly understand uh sort of um mm. as a signifier for people of roughly like this age and like this has been a problem for a while but not like mm. in perpetuity going back it's been a problem for in the recent past um yeah and it's not getting better <laughs> it's the way but yeah. I, yeah i think it does it does sound a bit like you know people will there's, there's people uh six-year-olds will still read like a headline saying that millennials are the burnout generation has been like what 22 year olds have it hard <laughs> you're like <laughs> you've oh you've misunderstood because you think you're 40 but you're actually 60 yeah so the 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 thing that we're kind of like talking about is the the overwhelming pressure to be productive and, like, anything that isn't productive is a kind of a waste of time. Um, which is something that, like, I think both me and you kind of acknowledged we feel at the back of our heads. Hmm. Um, like, at all times, even though we even though we kind of recognize it's a relatively unhealthy thought. Um, and I, I, I do, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing my thesis statement that this is kind of like a very post-2008 thing because... I'm also thinking about like all the companies that rose like 
post 2008, like under the Obama presidency. And it is all these kind of like Silicon tech companies that have like horrifying psychopathic work practices of like, yeah, yeah, yeah constantly be productive. Um, things like Google is like, you have like, you know, for like one day, out of the w- one day out of five to like pursue this like extra project that you want to do or whatever. And it's like, cool, is my workload for my actual work less? Like, no. Uh, can I get away with not doing the extra project? Also, no. Yeah, like, yeah, it's... Yeah. And I don't want to get into, like, Netflix and Amazon also have kind of, like, very... Yeah, that's, like, the, ex- the details, extreme but... form of it where they're like, oh, you all have, like, side... And I found this as well with, like, applying for jobs. With, like, mm. the consensus is oh, you need to show that, like, this thing that you're, this thing that you're applying for a job in is also your hobby. (laughs) (laughs) And you have, like, demonstrable work skills from, you know, your life generally. Because if you show off, like, oh, just university work, they'll be like, really? You don't work in your spare time as well on something that's, like, a passion project that's, like, producing useful output? You're like, well, I mean... I guess I'm lucky that sort of yes, but no. Oh dear, this is not should not be expected. <laughs> yeah, it's a that's like the other aspect of like how the workforce has changed for like I'm going to say post 2008 because I don't want to make a generational comparison, but like you have to love your job it is like a very mm. big thing that like there is no they, it is kind of seen as taboo to just have a job like to Mm, mm -hmm. say i'm here to pay rent kind of thing or whatever um that's just like not allowed anymore you have to be like super passionate for it and like this manifests particularly in like oh don't you want to go to like all these um you know javascript coding meetups that happen in your town and like maybe you should talk at them like we want to hire someone who would like has the go-getiveness to talk at them kind of thing yeah Um, and that's not even just true for tech like i oh god no uh there's like i like i I worked in publishing for a little while and there are like like if you i didn't live in london but anyone i know living in london it's just like yeah there's like networking meetups and stuff you're like i can see why this is necessary but this is very much like in certain aspects of this you you are expected for this to be like the thing that you love this so much that you're mm. willing to spend all of your time going to like work functions which like things that are disguised as not work functions but are in fact work functions um yeah. which is a bit like it's a bit you know that works fine for some that work I, like is i i'd be careful saying that that works fine for some people because there's some people i know who really do like going to those things but i think it would be naive to suggest that everyone who says that they love going to those things actually likes it or have there's like a certain cognitive dissonance going on that they're saying like but i do it therefore i must like it because i've been told i'm supposed to love my job and i do Mm. this i don't actively dislike it and therefore it must be something i quite enjoy which you know there's levels to which that that is that is true but the like making it the standard that they're supposed you're supposed to be at is like very unfair and unrelated to what uh they're actually, you're actually being paid to do and it's kind of something that distracts from like the inherent imbalance in most corporations i guess or like yeah. jobs in a capitalist system where you're like well your the value you're bringing is 
has to be like has to off the 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 value added has to be more than what they're paying you to do it for the the balance to work and then on top yeah. of that you're supposed to spend additional time getting like good at the thing or mm. networking to get your next job in the thing and you're like wow once you add up both that you're almost certainly being underpaid for what you're doing and then on top of that you're also expected to like have a hustle going to like yeah. either improve at it or do something as a side thing which is yeah yeah this is kind of like oh definitely um yeah this is also excluding things that like anyone who's in any kind of creative industry might like and this also happens in tech i i know as well like the idea of hope labor uh the Mm -hmm. like free work you do in the hope that it will lead you to a job that you like first of all any job or a job you want um so that's like a thing or even just like doing work as a part of like the application process for the job is mm. also like kind of related to that yeah. but the yeah the the kind of aspect of like oh if you want to be hired for this you know this job it's not good enough anymore that you're like competent at it you now have to be like we would really appreciate it if you were like a ui designer influencer on like various social medias or whatever um so that's like one aspect of it i guess the other aspect of it is the unrelated hobby um and like being productive at that which Mm. i think maybe more describes more describes my situation i guess you can kind of you do programming work so you can make like more of a connection and do some design work it's it's both of our hobbies are kind of related to our day jobs yeah but in a tangential way that's not impressive to anyone in our day jobs no exactly there you go that's that's the way to phrase it um but it is it it is interesting that that drive to also do this exists and i think the 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 way i would put it and again like the post 2008 way is we had these childhoods and like teenage existences where we grew up particularly in ireland in the good times where we were told that all these opportunities would be available for us. Mm. And then suddenly they weren't. So now to like keep the dreams that we'd like built through most of our childhood and adolescence alive, we do that as the hobby. Um, And now there's like this hope, whether we believe in it or not, that like if we hustle hard enough, we can uh, turn that into the career. Um, Yeah. I think there's I think there's like a healthy um click that some people need need to like not need to make but it's good to, good to make which is um like if you're doing something that like as a hobby could conceivably make you money at some point I think it's very important that if it's your goal to just actually make that your job is that you probably need to be working like much much harder harder on it than you're realistically going to be able to do if you also if you think of it as your hobby that might work out because Mm. the people who make it like at those kind of things have to work incredibly hard to do so and Mm. realistically you probably would need to be doing it as a full-time job before it would ever make you any actual actual real money um yeah and 
accepting that something is your hobby and it's okay if you don't make progress on it, I think is very important to both staying sane, but also like enjoying mm-hmm. it as your hobby because yeah. there's a certain aspect of, I think, I think so like, you know, what of like the, the hobby that I talk about on this is like making, trying to make games, uh, like video games. And there is like a very toxic culture in the video game industry of overwork. Mm-hmm. And I think an aspect of oh, that yeah. is people like the, that aspect of being able to get away with that is people being like, well, this is your dream job. And therefore mm-hmm. we can extract as much labor out of you as we want. And yes, or yeah, we've yeah. constructed the, we've constructed this project in such a way where unfortunately we do need to get you to have yeah. full time plus hobby time amount of work yeah. out of you. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 named for the amount of hours you've been working this week. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> <Not pretty> good. <laughs> um, but I, like the, the, I, I think that's the thing is that you've to, you've to, you just to think about so it's like that as an example of like and similarly I think the um uh you've talked about before of like having an animation job when you were young and realizing like oh, I don't want to be a full-time like animator because yeah. this would be a very like it's not like a good work-life balance setup so I think no. thinking about a doing something as your hobby and accepting that it's your hobby that you don't you're not trying to actively turn it into like a going concern career because just because you enjoy something as your hobby doesn't necessarily mean you would enjoy it as your profession. Um, mm. And accepting that that might be the case, I think is important to like mentally actually getting yourself to do it because I think otherwise you get to tipping points where you're like, this is stopping fun because I've set myself this really difficult deadline I can't meet. Yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, I, yeah, I think you need to, you should like dispel that myth of like, what's your side hustle is it making you enough money because i find like blogs and stuff i think in programming especially like blogs you read of people explaining how they did lots of side hustles and many many of them didn't work out and then they just start more side hustles consistently and you're like you must you you need to really enjoy this to keep that up because otherwise you're gonna get sick of doing this and that's gonna be that's going to be that. Mm. I think the same is true for a lot of things. Like a lot of people I know who like to make music, uh, and you used to you used to make music. You were you you you're making music a lot more seriously, I guess, than a lot of people who make music music now. And accepting that that that's not like in the short term something you're going to make your job because if that yeah, is yeah. that that is the case, that's not the way to approach it. I think it's it's better to have a hobby that you're kind of accepting isn't your full-time thing yeah there's a there was something that resonated with me quite a bit that i heard recently and it was talking about stand-up which is also something i did i mean i haven't really done it in the year 2020 for you know the reasons uh of 2020 it is forbidden (laughs) it is forbidden uh or it should have been more to be honest um (laughs) the so, like, the thing that I found very interesting was uh, someone talking about... There's some people who kind of, like, talk about, like, stand-up effectively being dead or the way it's, like, commonly conceived being mm. dead. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of saying, like, there won't really ever be another Jerry Seinfeld. It's kind of, like, in the same way people would say, like, the rock star industry is dead because of things like Spotify and stuff like that. It's, like, different set of reasons. Like, comedy will still exist, but like 
stand-up was having problems before the pandemic. The pandemic has also hurt it. Stand-up had this logic of, like, appealing to, like, this wide, you know, uh, trying to appeal to everyone, Mm. uh, which is, like, a media industry that doesn't really exist anymore. Like, media tastes are, like, way more fragmented now. Yep. And things like that. But, like, that's, like, a whole other conversation. But the thing that I found very interesting was... Like, a huge problem in the States was that there was this idea among stand-ups that, you know, they do this hustle, they go to these shitty, like, what, like open mics mm. every night, and eventually then they'll get their big break. Uh, and that could, like, come in a lot of different ways. They'll open for, like, an already established comedian. Uh, the right booker will see them. Um, they'll get, like, a spot on uh, a late-night show, whatever. Like, the big break is, like, this fictional, like, this mythical thing in your head that you kind of have to like define yourself. But the problem that was happening with the industry was that various people got like what counted as big breaks. And mm. then like two weeks later, they were back to being like delivery riders or Uber drivers. Yeah. Like nothing had, there was no nothing sustainable, had like ongoing job. Yeah. Yeah. And so like a big thing that happened is a lot of people due to the pandemic and lockdown, a lot of people have just like very quietly, some not so quietly, some quite quietly, have like dropped out of stand-up. Yeah. And the way they explained what was happening was there was this realization that um, the process isn't going to change. Mm-hmm. And this is like an interesting way I've been thinking about like a lot of my hobbies and stuff, which is, and this is definitely how I felt about music, which was definitely the wrong way to think about when I was doing music, which was like, I'm doing something now so that later the process can fundamentally change. Like I'm still doing music mm-hmm. or I'm still doing comedy or whatever, but like in people's heads, they're like, I don't like doing open mics every night. which are like no, like four people who are barely paying attention, blah, blah, blah. But if I keep doing this now, eventually I can just do like, you know, 10 half an hour shows during the, like through a year yeah. and like tour and things would be different. I'll be paid to do specials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this like realization during the pandemic. It's like, that's not going to fucking happen. Yeah. So if you don't enjoy the process, you can't just like keep doing it because it's not going to change. So you like the comedians who are left, which I think are like personally myself, the, the better comedians mm. are the ones who enjoy comedy as a process. They're not like begrudgingly doing comedy in the hopes that they will somehow fundamentally change um yeah yeah yeah. i yeah. think there's uh it was uh, interesting actually because um i think the, the very si- very similar thought i find articulated in a uh, place you probably possibly wouldn't expect which is conan o'brien's podcast which is kind of like oh, yeah. him just interviewing people but um a lot of it is like fluff a lot of it is people who are like promoting their book or whatever or their mm-hmm. stand-up special um but the people he's just friends with that he talks talks to, whenever he's complimenting people he actually seems to like, it is just like, I really admire you because you just seem to really like what you're doing and therefore you're just constantly working at it. And it's not a case of yeah. like, you had a thing, like a project you had to do or like a film you had to film. It's just like, mm. he will describe it, I think, quite incorrectly as like worth at work ethic, which I think is the framing that we all think of. If we have really good work ethic, we'll become really successful. Yeah. But that's not actually at the core of what he's saying. He's like, you will, say so for stand-ups, you will 
continue to perform in this terrible bar because you just really like doing the the yeah, stand-up yeah, yeah. and that's the aspect of it that he likes and he i think he's misattributing it to like work ethic but it's actually like they have happened across something that they really love and they're willing to like pour time into it and the the thing is because they enjoy the work it then doesn't like have the same draining influence it would be if you're like i'm only doing this because i want the next thing i think the, the same thing was articulated to me when like i started my um uh when i started my my phd which was it was from people who had previously had one and no longer were no longer were in academia which was mm. Hopefully you'll get lucky and you'll find a topic that really you really gel with, and then mm. it won't feel like such bad work, and because the remuneration is so bad, and like you're not treated like well from a like a work life balance perspective, no matter how hard people will try, because you're not paid enough yeah. to be able to have that have that luxury. So you have to really really like the work you're doing, and the people that you talk to people who are very much like their goal is some particular job they want at the end of it or people who i really don't understand who are like i am doing this so my application to a hedge fund is better and i'm like i do not understand why, why are you doing this then you just get get a like slightly worse job that head work your way out i don't understand anyway but yeah. it seems like a terrible way to do that but like if you actually like doing the stuff then it you're willing to like do it at any level and it becomes less mm. of a if you don't reach this exact goal then you failed and you're going to burn out because you might not get there and you might start to feel like yeah. you're not getting there. And that's where the burnout comes from. It, I think it's, it yeah. feels, it comes from like a feeling like you're spinning your wheels and not, nothing's happening and you've like your mm. chains come off and you're not, there's no traction. Because then you're just like, I work and I work and I work and nothing, nothing is getting, nothing yeah. is fundamentally changing about it. But it's the, the, the goal of being like, I actually like the the bit of it. That's making it making it better. And I think for yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. comedy, you can. I think you're right. You can tell like the people who actually like doing it produce better stuff mm. because it doesn't feel as forced. I guess to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I think, that, I think like that generalizes well to other other things. Yeah, I think there's like a shame within comedy because there are people who are like do make very good comedy and are working very hard mm. but i think it's just it's from the conversations that you can have with them afterwards that you kind of tell i was like oh you're trying to be like sex pestery aside the next louis ck mm. like you are you have these very lofty goals that i like it's it's i don't like i'm not a pessimist about this i just i do reckon i feel like i just recognize the reality that's very unlikely yeah and but at the same time i also i think the other thing is i just don't understand it as a goal i don't understand why you would want that um mainly because it's just not my goal with stand-up comedy at all um so i guess i get very hard to resonate with it but it's like yeah because i guess it's just like it starts to affect the way they talk to other people because like every interaction they now have at the comedy show is now like a is now social climbing is now like mm. saying the right shit to because it might come back to benefit them later yeah. and it's a real problem with stand-up comedy being like a really informal industry and that's unfortunately connected to like all the abuse that happens within stand-up comedy yeah. and stuff like that so it's 
it's like very weird and dark. And I remember listening to uh, Why You Mad, which is like the only about comedy podcast that I can stand, namely because the two people who run it have detached themselves and detached their like financial security enough away from comedy that they can talk honestly about it. Yeah. Um, which is the problem with a lot of other like podcasts. Like the famous one in the UK is like The Comedian's Comedian. Mm. Um, which will have like big names on it, like Darrow Brian and stuff, uh, and James Acaster or whatever. But like because it is such like a industry thing, they are not talking honestly about like what they do and don't like about comedy or what they think of other comedians and blah blah blah. Um but this one does. And they had someone on that they're interviewing who was like a comedian who started at the same time as one of the hosts, but left a lot, like left ages ago and mm. just wanted to do music. Um, and it was because the, one of the events that he described is like why he left it. was like, he had this picnic. He would got invited to this picnic with other like mid tier and like somewhat successful comedians in New York. Some of them were like names that I recognized. Mm. And while he was at it, it was just like everyone just name dropping and like talking about themselves. And he was like, this sucks. I hate this. I don't want to be a part of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that gen- I think that generalizes to most things that oh, someone definitely. would have as a yeah. hobby that they might consider. Oh, at some point I could make this like into what I do. And you're like, that's not like a that's not necessarily like a bad goal, but it's a you need to have you I I guess you need to have done that thing where you're detached enough from this that it's not a problem if that doesn't work out. Mm. And not in like a not wanting to be ambitious way, but in a it's not going to be fun if all mm. you're doing it for is for the is for like a specific end goal you have. Um and it's you're probably going to just get burnt out on it and like stop doing it because it becomes too yeah. hard um yeah i think that's i think you just gotta it, it's it's shitty because it's 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 you don't want to be like be realistic you're not gonna win you're not gonna be successful <laughs> uh which i think is also a shitty way to approach people approach people who are like mm. doing something they enjoy if, if they actually enjoy doing it um but it just seems like such a waste of your time if you, yeah, you see people at like a social event that yes has a networking element where they're just like i must network for the sake of yeah Um, yeah i guess the like there's like there's two things there which is i guess like recognize i think it's just like recognize are you doing what you're doing now because you like what you're doing now or do you have a possibly fictitious goal in mind that a you may never reach or b if you do reach it won't be what you expected which are like big risks Mm -hmm. and then the other side of it would be um particularly with the comedy but i I imagine it's it's very similar like music and i'm sure other industries or like hobbies or potential industries or whatever where it can get really toxic and weird because it will start to bleed into your social life Mm -hmm. um like illustration for example or being successful at like being like an online illustrator is something that's like the problem i hear about it is that if you commit yourself to it it's very isolating 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That could be a huge problem of it. But it's all, it's the benefit all of work, I guess, is the... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But the benefit of that is there are no, like, weird blurred line situations where are you like you're in an interaction where it's like is this social or is this Mm. still kind of work yeah right um like even if you're a full-time like instagram illustrator there can still be a point where you go out to coffee with friends and it's like not related but like Mm. that can start to bleed together with like stand-up and music and these other things where like there's a social component Mm -hmm. like involved like a lot of people who like run comedy venues in new york were just like again why you mad has very aptly described them as people who are rich enough to buy their way into friendship with successful comedians (laughs) and it's like that is like a horrifying (laughs) like relationship to like aspire to i think um the worst version of the like the burnout thing is people who are really into the non-creative version of this which is trying to make small like tiny businesses as side hustles work Mm. with ideas that like aren't good (laughs) i think if you ever watch the tv show the apprentice especially the british version of it um because the american version of it is just like weird overproduced garbage but the british version of it is often people who are like yeah i started this business myself in my bedroom or like i followed my dream to start this like shop and then often in the like last few episodes where they start to interrogate these people's actual backgrounds because they're getting to the point where they might offer them the bullshit job working for alex sugar Mm. like frequently it turns out that the the person's business is like not doing as well as they said it was Mm. but like the kind of people who would apply to this thing are always selling they're they all they the yes as alec baldwin says always be closing they're in that mindset but they're not a professional salesperson (laughs) they they've just they've just attributed that to their like side hustle which they're pretending is their passion product but they're actually doing it because they need to get their like mysterious business job that they've they've, like uh they believe exists (laughs) and it's just that seems that seems like a recipe that's the worst version of that i think it's the kind of thing that fuels like multi-level marketing scams and things like that Mm -hmm. because it it, it's creating the illusion of like oh like there's the people who have their their like fake side hustle where they're going to become like a famous comedian or a famous games developer (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very, very funny. I'm gonna become the next Sid Myers. Um, <laughs> the um uh the the other version of that, which is like you must have a side hustle because you're gonna have like income coming from it, and therefore you have you get sucked in by these things which are like you're gonna make money in your spare time, and like not the ones that are clearly a scam, the ones that might seem like they might be not a scam, but then they are mm. really a scam because it's just a yeah, of course, a, it's a legitimate business yeah. front for us as a, a pyramid scheme. And you're just like yeah. the reason those things are so successful, I think in part is because it's preying on it's preying well, it's well, it's it's mostly the marketing things I think are preying on like two large large groups. One is um, poor people and immigrants who have been tricked into mm. it. Um, actively yeah. tricked into actively lied to and tricked into it and people who are potentially millennials but people who post 2008 especially are very susceptible to the idea 
they could have a side hustle that makes them money and that they that will yeah. cause them to become very successful and more successful than they would be able to do with their day job and it's like yeah. like a lot of these things it is it is a scam and it's not uh not good at least in comedy they're yeah. honest with you they're like we're not gonna pay you <laughs> would you like a drink token <laughs> yeah. you don't yeah. drink comedy... we have no solution for this <laughs> yeah. the comedy version of this is like if they told you they were going to pay you and then every time you showed up they were just like we'll pay you next time and you were like you told me that 12 times ago and they're like just do one more gig and then you're then you'll have the money <laughs> that happens these are, that does these happen are... <laughs> all right okay yeah. then i mean this is the, yeah, this is the thing i think yeah or Welcome like to hell. yeah yeah, the game the game dev example is just like you you'll be able to find like a successful indie game that was theoretically made by one person or like two people or like a three people team or something, and then you're like, well, yeah. how much of that was luck? How much of that was like they hit a uniquely good thing that they did? Which is, yeah, because um, yeah. you got to look at the counterfactual of like how many people did not do that? Cool. Don't make that your go- like that doesn't have to be your goal. Mm. You just have to kind of accept that that might be the case and therefore mm. you can't like spend all of your mental capital on this because it will destroy you um i think they also the uh the always be closing mindset which is also like um ceo of a startup mindset of just like half of this is like speculative investment and all of that will be determined by how like positive your like your pitch the tone of your voices during your pitches like that's like that's like what most of the stuff is driven by but like all these kind of numbers are like very fudged so like going into the game developer thing it's like yeah like how many of these projects of like a three and four developer team actually took like four years but they mm. just don't want to tell you it took four years or they'll be or... open about it but that's not the perception <laughs> because yeah because the different the, the time between like them and like announcing it in some form and it actually materializing is often shorter and creates that illusion yes of course yeah so yeah there's there's lots of things like that um same with like comics and like anything else like you you it's the very i don't want to say american but it's like very business mentality of just like everything is going great until suddenly it isn't um yeah so yeah. I, th- I think, yeah yeah i think you gotta admit to yourself and to other people actually you gotta admit to other people if things are like going only okay it's fine yeah <laughs> you don't, it's fine. don't have to be like everything is great and actually here are all yeah. my achievements because you're like i like this yeah i think this is also a very american thing i always find i remember i had this very like formative experience in one of my my first my first job out of university where we were trying to fill a position affecting my manager who was like it was British. I was very like honest and straightforward with us. It was just like mm. she was complaining because HR were like screening the CVs before they sent them mm. on to her for a position we needed to fill, and she was just like, yeah. "I can't read and run the CVs. It sounds like the person is just making shit up because their cover letter is just like them bragging about completely implausible successes they've had." <laughs> Because you're like, yeah. if you were this successful, why do you want this job? It does not pay very well. <laughs> um, and then she finally went back to them and was like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to interview any of these people. Do you have any, like, anything, uh, like, do you have any other other CVs? Like, do you, any, like, any other applicants? They like, oh, we had loads of applicants, but we threw them all away. And she was like, can I read them? And she was reading them and being like, well, this seems more believable. Like, you see, 
You haven't just yeah. made up shit. And the position was in America. And she was like, I never have this problem when I'm hiring people in the UK because people don't, like, you, you can, it, people still do do it, but it's not the same level of, like, you have to sell yourself. You've got to sell yourself really hard for all these mm. extracurricular activities. And they're like, well, that's, that's fine, but that's not actually indicative of this thing, we, this admin job we need to hire you for. <laughs> it's just very like oh yeah actually that so a lot of that stuff is such bullshit and it's yeah really really annoying that people do that because you're like i'm not an investor <laughs> you don't need to talk, t- talk yeah. to me like i am um nor should you talk to your investors like that i think uh <laughs> yeah i guess the, the the really annoying and like really lonely aspect of it is just like because if everyone's talking like that and that doesn't feel like the way your projects are going then it mm. feels just incredibly lonely. Um, it's like that. It, it's the Instagram thing of just like the only time we upload to Instagram is like when we're out and doing something beautiful or eating something really nice or blah, blah, blah. And that yeah. makes it look like that's all our life is. So when everyone, when anyone realistically doesn't have like a life like that all the time, it just looks like it's very hard to look at Instagram. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to think about it is that you assume everyone on Instagram is exaggerating things. And then if anyone was telling you about a, uh, a side project they're working on um mm. as- imagine they'd instagram posted it and then think about how believable you, <laughs> you, think, <laughs> you think it is and what layers of it are just are are, are for the hype. uh wait this this indie video game you're making is a thirst trap <laughs> i see through this <laughs> what are you talking about thigh gap the game is totally legitimate <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this I'm is sorry. libelous <laughs> I'm sorry, but like Thigh Gap the Game, you have to make that. I don't know what it is. That's the next episode. We're figuring out what Thigh Gap the Game is. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember um, uh, very ups- uh, very, as, um, uh, a friend of mine was like, uh, was telling me about a friend of his because I think he had tried to have a YouTube channel and then he was like, it was really annoying because mm. it wasn't successful. My friend's is really, is really successful. I'm like, oh, what does he do? And he's like, well, he posts dance music he makes it's like doing well on youtube I'm like oh really and he's like but i realized the reason it's doing successfully is because he just put posts uh pictures of women's legs and i was like oh yeah. oh no <laughs> this is awful yeah it's like well that makes yeah. it more successful I'm like that's very upsetting that that's the way that works oh no oh, yeah. all, the, all the all the youtube music label thing that happened i want to say god when was that was that like 2012 2013 era of like youtube mm. um yeah that was they were all thirst traps. Um, yeah, but uh, I think that's another episode of Dream Buddies. What were you going to talk about? We were, there was something we had we were going to talk about next week. I don't remember what it was. Something about something. Next week? Next, not, not next week, next time. I don't know. Next time. Uh, we figure out the mechanics of Thigh Gap the game. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we can do that. I'm just imagining like a, a like a WarioWare style game of just like you have like some sort of weird controls to try and force legs apart <laughs> while they're still like <laughs> while they're still perpendicular, like still perfectly straight. Coming to Nintendo Switch is the uh, yeah. Yeah. Nintendo will not authorize that. Is the <laughs> I feel like there's like a a, a, a WarioWare like style game of just like horrifying things that occur on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, that's something. There's something to that. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, there definitely is. Like, how quickly can you put on the dress you just ordered and then put it back in the return bag while after taking a photo? <laughs> like, 
The important thing is all the all the controls are really obtuse. Yeah, the um, I think the main problem with this game is that people there's a lot of people who find it like legitimately offensive, and when they express their offense, the game has caused them. You'll be like, "That's a very reasonable grievance." I understand. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'll be a very reasonable grievance. Here's the here's an email address you can talk to, and it's just like customer service and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah here's the uh, email to mark zuckerberg um <laughs> don't ask us how we got this well it's uh marky mark at facebook.com right yeah possibly i don't know so I'm, kind of, I, I'm i'm cutting this podcast off <laughs> <laughs> goodbye bye